Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as he makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com. So um, a few years ago, I had this incredible opportunity that I think few people get to go on a safari in the Masai Mar, Africa. It was one of the coolest days of my life. I got to see all of these amazing animals, God's creation on full display. Um, It was incredible. We got to see lions and we got to see uh, monkeys and we got to see zebras and we got to see water buffalo and we got to see hippos and I mean it was truly a remarkable experience. At one point in the safari uh, we saw a lion who had been injured and so he had like his like a whole uh, kind of like a bloody side of his body and but what was fascinating is that it was all bandaged up and we were like why does this lion have a, a Band-Aid on his body? Well, come to find out, lions are so valuable and so important that the park rangers of the Masai Mar will uh, take them out, like knock them out, and like, take care of them over a period of time so that they'll survive and that they will live. We found this really interesting, right? So we continued on our journey, and about like 20 minutes later, we saw a zebra Uh, a pack of zebras and they were running by and it was really cool to see them all. And then about 30 seconds later, we saw uh, another zebra that was limping along, just like kind of like this. And his whole hoof had basically almost looked like it was separated from the rest of his leg and it, it had broken. And so this wonderful woman on our trip says to the driver of our caravan, he, she says, well, uh, well, are the park rangers going to come out and take care of the zebra? And he turned around and said, no. And he kept driving. And uh, she said, well, what's going to happen to the zebra? He has this broken leg. The lion's okay, but the zebra is going to be left, you know, like, like what's going to happen to the zebra? And he stops the vehicle and he turns to her and he goes, dinner. (laughs) And he basically said that that zebra is as good as dead. And we all laughed because... What's, that was kind of normal in that environment, right? Animals eat other animals. You know, like the, the strongest kind of survive. Zebras, there, there are many of them, but they are in constant danger of being attacked by someone else. This was just the way it goes in the Masai Mar. This is the rules of the jungle. This is the rules of, the, 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 of, of nature out there. And no one thought you know, really had a second thought about it. I mean, I think the, the one woman who really loved animals had a second thought about it, but most of us were like, yeah, that's what happens. In fact, I'd like to see that. Could we stay out here and see if that happens, right? Like that was like part of our thinking while we were there. Like the, how cool would that be? Like this is, you know, discovery channel right in front of our eyes. And I give that example because I think that what we sometimes fail to understand are things that are normal in our culture that other people might think is strange. So when we come to this, like the the letter of Philemon, Paul is talking about slavery and it doesn't seem like it's, or in the other persons of the New Testament, it doesn't seem to like, why isn't he addressing this more directly? 
Why isn't Paul like calling this out and saying this is the worst thing that you can possibly do? It needs to stop immediately. And Tiana did a really nice job last week explaining, first of all, that this was like everybody having a car or everyone having a TV or everyone having a phone. Slavery was that normal in that context at that time. Now, I am not, that's not to justify anything. That's not to say that what they were doing was right or wrong. It's just the reality that we have to understand that we are living in a completely different context than the first century. In fact, many scholars say that one-third of the inhabitants of any urban center would have been slaves. And one of the differences of slavery as we think of slavery and slavery then was that it wasn't based off of race. It was based off of uh, socioeconomic status for the most part. So many people would get into great debt and they would actually sell themselves to be slaves in order to pay off that debt and then later it would be freed. Now there were situations where slaves were never free and I don't want to pretend like it was just this okay thing that was going on. It's never okay to own another human being. But it is slightly different than the way that we often understand slavery in our context and uh, you know, shadow slavery that we, that we are used to talking about in the United States of America. So we have to understand that while the treatment of slaves was recognized as a moral question of that time period, the fact, the fact of slavery itself was not. And we have to understand Paul's perspective and others that are writing in the New Testament that the, the absence of a democracy as we know it today it would not have been possible for them to conceive an effective political protest against slavery. Like it just wouldn't have even entered their mind because they're not living in the same environment or the same context or same government systems and structures. And so you had agricultural and industrial slaves and you had domestic slaves. Domestic slaves had better off and oftentimes could work towards their, um, their freedom. And sometimes it was even a way to get some mobility socially if you found the right person. To, um, and it was a good owner. Now, all that to say, we know that slavery is abhorrent, but I just want us to try as best as we can to understand the situation that Paul's in, the context and the culture that he's in. And that makes his request to Philemon even more significant. That makes it all the more bold, countercultural, unbelievable, the things that he's about to say. Because when we understand how normal it is, we'll understand how radical Paul's call to Philemon is in this passage. So let's go back. And I think those of you that weren't here last week, I just want to cover a little bit of ground so that we're all on the same page. Paul and Philemon. Who is Paul? Who is Philemon? Paul is the apostle that came to Christ uh, on the road to Damascus wanting to persecute Christians. Philemon was one of the people that when Paul went to uh, Colossae or another time period when, when he was maybe traveling for business, he met Paul and he became a follower of Jesus. He converted uh, and his whole life had changed. Philemon was wealthy, um, but the gospel had gripped his heart and made him a lo- man of love and generosity. And most people believe that he was hosting the church in Colossae at that time. Um, he was the, the person that welcomed in people from all the community that were Christians. So here's this generous, kind, loving individual He had been converted through Paul's ministry and Paul calls him in verse one and then in verse 17, a fellow worker, 
What he means by that is that Philemon was not just uh, kind of a patron that allowed people to use his stuff as wealthy, but he participated in the mission that Paul was part of, meaning that he was part of the evangelistic efforts that Paul had been participating in. He did not stay in the background and play a background role. He was involved in the organizing and the mission of the churches. Most people would have viewed him as the leader of this church in Colossae. He was successful. He had the know-how. And undoubtedly, he was very important to Paul in the ministry of the church there. Another thing that's fascinating about this and really important for us to understand is that Paul was writing this letter not just to Philemon. He was writing it to the whole church. So you can imagine, Paul is writing this letter to Philemon that was going to be read for the whole church. He's going to make this request, not just to Philemon individually or just his family. It was going to be read in front of his friends, in front of his family, in front of other slaves, his own slaves even, possibly, that were going to hear this message that Paul was going to ask for Onesimus to be welcomed back into the fold, even beyond that. So here we are. We're in this context. Paul uh, knows Philemon well. He cares about him. Onesimus is somebody that has uh, come to Paul and, and somehow found him. We're not quite sure how this all worked out. But we know that Onesimus had wronged Philemon in some way. Most people believe, based on verse 18, that he had some sort of financial debt to Philemon. Maybe he was skimming off the top. Maybe he just grabbed money as much as he could and took off. And he was a runaway slave. In this world, and the context that they were living in, Philemon was the one that was wronged, not Onesimus. And in fact, his offense of stealing money and being running, running away was a capital offense. I know that's hard for us to imagine, but Philemon had every single right in that context to put Onesimus to death. And many owners would take that severe of vengeance. So he owes Philemon money, and some could say that he owes him his very life. Now, we're not quite sure how Paul and Onesimus meet, or at least why they, they met. There's a few different options of how they met. One is that Onesimus had taken off to the most, uh, the most populated city of that time to try to get some work. He was you know, a runaway slave. He would have been able to get lost in the crowd a bit more, maybe find some work, maybe able to survive doing that. At least he wasn't going to be a slave any longer. And it just so happens that he gets caught doing something else and gets imprisoned next to Paul. That seems unlikely. Right? That he just ended up in the cell next to Paul. Now, God could have done that, but like that seems very unlikely when we're thinking about it. More scholars think that he intentionally chose to go where Paul was, knowing that Paul was a Christian and knowing that Paul had a relationship with Philemon, and to kind of say, Hey, can you help me out? Can you fix this situation for me, or at least try to make it right? So, Paul meets Onesimus, and they become great friends. They're so close. Paul, I mean, sees them as his own son. Onesimus converts to the Christian faith, declares that Jesus is Lord, and Paul wants him to go and join in on the mission that God has for him with him, not, go, not to go back to Philemon. And Paul asks one of the most 
essentially makes the most, one of the most radical requests you can possibly imagine. His love for Onesimus, his love for Philemon, and he makes a request that I just don't know if we read the Bible and we understand the depth of how radical this was. Paul's solution is a radical solution. Paul's solution is that in light of the good news of Jesus, Paul was going to send Onesimus back to Philemon and ask Philemon to accept him back without penalty, as a brother in Christ, as equal at the table, and I think he's asking that he should be free. Think about that request. Onesimus had stolen money, had run away, deserved death, and Paul is saying, wipe his debt clean. I know that he's on this social ladder way down here and you're way up here, but under in the kingdom of God, under the, the cross of Jesus Christ, you guys are now brothers and equals at the table. Doesn't matter how much money you have, doesn't matter what your position is in society, but you are equals in front of Jesus Christ. And not only that, he says at the very end, I know that you'll do above and beyond what I'm even asking. And almost all scholars agree when he's saying above and beyond what I'm even asking means I think you should set him free. Now, Philemon would have had no concept of what Paul was asking him to do. This is an utterly, like, Christian thing, an utterly kingdom of God thing, an utterly gospel thing that only Paul could ask under the, the tenets of what Jesus had done for them by the cross. What was the basis for this request? Not the law. The law was on Philemon's side. Not morality. The morals were on Philemon's side. Not the crowd. Not everyone would have sided with Philemon. The basis of this request was as simple as it is the gospel and what it does in people and how it changes everything when you believe. The gospel message of Jesus, King Jesus, the Lord of Philemon, Onesimus, and everyone else that was in that church. They were now under his lordship. The way they interacted with one another, the way that they treated one another, the social systems and structures, everything was remade under King Jesus. I want to remind you that the gospel isn't simply about how you get saved and go to heaven someday or some like spiritual decision that you make, but it has practical implications in every single one of our lives. It's about the lordship of Jesus, the king over the real world, over real people's lives, over the difficult decisions that real people face. And so next week, I want to spend more time about what, it, in light of Paul's letter, like what his um, role as an advocate is, and maybe some ways in which we can understand how to be better advocates and allies for people that are uh, facing difficult situations or facing injustice in our lives. And like Paul gives us some really great things. But I don't, so I don't want to like blow all of that for next week. But I want you to, to see what Paul, how Paul lays this out. This is what he says. This is how he lays it out. He says, we are partners in the gospel. That's the first thing he says. We are partners in the gospel. Essentially, we are in business together, Philemon. And when you believe the gospel, you are brought into partnership with all other believers in it. Onesimus is a believer. Onesimus matters. 
And now you are in partnership with him. If you're in partnership with somebody else, that changes things if you see yourself that way. When you believe in Jesus, that you join the family, right, through baptism and become part of Jesus. And the sign that you are part of Jesus is that you grow together in love. And this cuts across all traditional barriers that would typically separate other human beings from one another. I think about what he's asking both of these men here. Can you imagine Philemon? He gets this letter, it's right in front of everybody. He's like, you're asking me to be laughed at. Like nobody in society would think that this like, makes any sense whatsoever. He's asking for me to, you're asking me to lose all sorts of respect in the culture and context that I live in. All my neighbors and friends are going to think I'm weak, are going to think I'm an idiot. If you do this, all your other slaves are going to want to be free too. And maybe that's Paul's point. (laughs) He's setting them up. You're going to ruin everything that I've built. Maybe you're exposing me. Maybe maybe Philemon was a, a terrible owner. Maybe now that's being brought to the fore in front of the whole church. This is a radical call. I mean, I can't imagine uh, someone coming up and reading a letter in front of all of you saying about all the, you know, the things that I'm doing and things that I should be doing that I'm not doing. I mean, this would be really, really hard, wouldn't it? And he's asking Onesimus something too. Think about Onesimus. He says, hey, Onesimus, I think you need to go back. I don't think Onesimus was thinking I'm going back anytime soon. He's like, you're sending me back to death. You're sending me back to slavery. Now I owe even more than I owed before. Now my chances of freedom are slim to none for the rest of my life. Now you're setting me up for generational slavery. Am I supposed to trust this guy is going to forgive me when that's never happened in any context that I've ever seen in my life? I've never seen it before. He's asking him to trust that the gospel is strong enough to break down cultural norms, the justified anger and embarrassment of Philemon. He's got to trust that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that, that, that the forgiving love of Jesus Christ would so like, take over Philemon's heart that it would break down walls of power and privilege that he's just existed in his whole life. Paul's saying the good news of Jesus is good enough if truly truly taken to the heart for Philemon not only to welcome you back to being a slave without punishment, but to practice table fellowship to welcome you back as a brother, as equal, and as a free man without paying him back. Paul doesn't even mention the cross here. He simply applies it. And what I love is that we know that at the cross, Jesus reconciled us to himself. He essentially became our substitute, right? Took our place. And all the warring fractions that are on earth all came upon Jesus in that moment. He set us free from the law of sin and death so that we could be 
have the Holy Spirit so we could be changed. And this achievement of reconciliation is put into effect when people you know, practice the same patterns, when they do the same things. And what I love about this, and this is, I'm, I'm stealing my thunder for next week, I don't care. This is what it says. Paul literally says, if he owes you anything, I owe it. So he takes his place. He's essentially saying to Philemon, when you look at Onesimus, you look at me. And that's what happens at the cross, right? When God looks down upon us, he doesn't see us, he sees Jesus. When people allow the cross to shape their own lives, the love of God is set free to change and heal in ways that we can't even imagine. This letter shows how costly reconciliation or healing is in in the lives of people. But it also shows how powerful it could be. Paul is saying, I will stand between the two of you. He essentially says to Onesimus, when you see Philemon, you see me. The same grace and love and affection that I have for you, that's how Philemon is going to respond. I trust him that much that the Holy Spirit is in him. And he, says to, and he says to Philemon, when you think about Onesimus, you see me. Whatever you know, he's done, I'm paying for. And then he throws in this really like slight jab. And, he says, and, and just to remind you, remember that you, <laughs> you owe me your entire life. That's what he says. You owe me everything. I didn't read this, but verse 22 is amazing because he says, oh yeah, and prepare a room for me. I think it's hilarious because I think what Paul is essentially saying is, if you don't do this, I'm coming. Like, I'm coming soon, so this is going to happen. You know, I could command you to do this. I'm not going to command you. I'm going to be nice about it because you're reading this in front of everybody. But prepare a room for me. I'll be there soon, you know, whenever I get out of prison. As with the prodigal son passage, those of you that know your your Bibles, um, there might be some that would be in the context of this place that would say, why should Onesimus be rewarded for running away? How do you know that he's not going to do, like, how do you know he's not manipulating you, Paul? Like, he just became a Christian, did all these things so that you would go to bat for him. What has he done to deserve this request? But isn't that what grace is about? Like, isn't that what the gospel truly is? That's what God's love is always like for us. Some of us might ask in our context today, how could Onesimus go back? <laughs> he, has, he shouldn't be enslaved. He's the one that's in the right. He might not have had words to frame that, but maybe he felt that at the very core of his being, and that's why he felt the right to run away. This is unjust. This is not right. How could, Philemon, how could Paul even ask Onesimus to do that? How could Philemon be forgiven for such, practicing such an evil thing as slave ownership? And I would just say only through the cross, only through God's incredible grace, can a slaveholder be forgiven and welcomed to the table with those that he has wronged. So I just ask you this this morning, where in the world, where in your church, where in your family, at your workplace, where is the healing and restorative grace of God most badly needed? 
How can God's people stand in the middle of the picture, holding out their arms to people on either side, bringing together those divided large and small by large and small gulfs, ready to be peacemakers and healers in the name of Jesus? Are we willing to be those types of people, types of people like Paul? Let's pray. What a challenging passage. Um, I'm not sure that if I was anything like Paul that I would have the courage to believe that the gospel would take hold of two individuals so deeply that they could be reconciled in the way that Onesimus and Philemon were. God, we believe that it's only by your goodness, only by your grace, only by your love that takes hold of our hearts that something like that could even take place. And I'm just guessing that there are people that need to be reconciled to one another in this room. I'm guessing that there are people that need to apologize and turn away from sin in this room. I'm guessing that there are people that think there are relationships and people that there's like no way forward. And so God, I'd ask even right now that you'd begin to um, humble us and to teach us and to believe in your goodness once again that saves, that redeems, that, that changes people. So God, we just invite uh, you to do that work in us. Would we be people that become healers and peacemakers and reconcilers in our world? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as he makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com.